0: Thinking about learning to shoot? Considering buying a gun? Want to enjoy the sport of shooting with a friend or family member? How about getting involved in competitive shooting? Sim Trainer offers all these opportunities and more. Visit, call, or stop by. Visit us at sim-trainer.com. Call the range at 293-3914 or stop by the range at 2031 Dryden Road. Then listen to the podcast by clicking the radio link at sim-trainer.com.
1: Welcome to this week's podcast of Shooting From the Hip, brought to you by Sim Trainer, the Dayton area's leader in firearms training. I'm Jeff Pedro, in with Mark Avery. And if you would like to find out more about Sim Trainer, you can visit us on the web at sim-trainer.com. You can call us at the range at 937-293-3914. Or if you want to stop by the facility, you can come down and see us at 2031 Dryden Road, right across the street from DPNL we'd be more than glad to discuss with you any of your firearms-related needs or interests. If you have any questions or comments relative to this show, things we discussed here, previous shows, feel free to give us a, send us an email at range at sim-trainer.com or better yet, you can reach out to our website on the contact tab. You can just hit the contact tab It'll have a little bit of informational, few informational fields you have to fill in and you can send us any questions or comments via um, that way. So we want to try to over the next six or eight weeks stay in touch with you because uh, we are obviously preempted due to UD football program and that'll probably go into the second or third week in November Uh, but we want to make sure we stay up to date on issues and what we're going to devote this series of podcasts to is trying to highlight issues that are currently relevant and worthy of discussion Um, and each week we'll try to pick one major topic and we may may talk about several others. Uh, In our first podcast last week we talked about the 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 launch of the glock generation 5 19 and 17 models this week we're going to devote our discussion to um, issues surrounding the nra's recent ladies pistol project the ladies pistol project was a mini study i think that's the best way to to uh, um, describe it conducted by uh, several nra instructors all of them women by the way and the emphasis of the study was not on concealability but rather on usability of various firearms, it did not have an emphasis on concealed carry. However, one thing that kind of was confusing is that when they, when they did some uh, evaluation of firearms, one of the main criteria that they included in the survey was the ability to carry on or off the person. So there was a little bit of conflict there initially, but I think overall it was pretty clear that they wanted to um, deal with the exit or look at it, the growing interest um in handguns uh, by women more specifically there were certain models of handguns that are often purported to be female female friendly and they wanted to find out if there really was such a thing as female friendly and there were um comments by various authors again all of them women or uh, people who conducted the study and they had feelings on both sides of the fence relative to whether or not there are quote female friendly guns unquote but um What uh, was interesting is that although the information that they compiled was mainly about women, they made it very clear that this is very pertinent to men also, because as most of our listeners know, and if you're new to our show, it may be a bit of information that would be uh, interesting to you. And if you reflect back on when you started getting involved in, in firearms, it was probably the case. Women are mostly introduced to firearms by men. Now, that that's a double-edged sword. Um, I think that there's a lot of women who would not, on their own, seek out um, interest in firearms, and sometimes the men in their lives encourage them to do them for a variety of reasons. Um, but in other cases, there are women who go out and they seek the interest on their own. And we have had both uh, types of people come to our facility, but I think it was relevant that uh, the people in the study mentioned that not only do the women have to heed what they said, but maybe more importantly the men have to heed what they say or what they found out because, as we'll discuss later on, there are some pertinent issues that I think that uh, often cloud the issue. Um, The NRA instructor, one of the NRA instructors involved in the study uh, who was very um, outspoken, I think, on several occasions, said that she doesn't think there is such a thing as a female-friendly gun. Um, There was another... uh, person orchestrating the study who said that a female-friendly firearm is defined that one who fits the woman's hand properly, one which the trigger is easy to function, and one that does not have too much recoil or the recoil spring isn't too heavy. So you had two of the main authors of the the study kind of having conflicting um, opinions about the whole issue. Um, we'll talk more about this later on, but my personal opinion is I tend to agree that there's not necessarily guns that are female-friendly, I agree that guns are more likely, and they brought this up later in the study, that the gun that a person selects is more often related to their intended use rather than whether it's a gender-specific issue, male or female. And by that I mean if you're interested in competitive shooting, uh, recreational shooting, home self-defense and or concealed carry that may be different types of guns depending on your circumstances and your skill level
0: and i think the other thing that really is a big deal is whether or not it fits you and you don't have to be a woman to have smaller hands we've had several guys came in that had short fingers and reaching some of the guns they just don't fit if it doesn't fit it's going to be really difficult for you to shoot that comfortably
1: Yeah. One of the other major assertions of the study was that it's not uncommon for women to come to training classes with the wrong gun. And we found that to be the case, not only for women, but also for men on many instances where either their spouse, a friend, a friend who's a police officer, their neighbor gave them a gun because it was convenient to give it or because it's a gun that they like. They gave it to them, had them come to class and After they handled it and shot it a while, in some cases, even before they even handle it, they realize, wow, I brought the wrong gun and I didn't know what I know now because we spend an hour and a half to two hours in the classroom going over some basic fundamentals and talking about the functional operation, but they find that um, uh, maybe there's something a little bit better suited for their particular needs. So I, I think that's important to mention. Because uh, we want to try to avoid as much as possible people going out to a gun store, buying a gun, and then seeking training. We advocate you do it the opposite way. You go to the training, you find out what gun's good for you, then you go buy the gun. And then if later on, like most of us, you want to buy additional guns, that's fine. But at least you have a foundation, little basis of knowledge and you have some experience for which you can uh, uh, make uh, more informed decisions. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that one of the problems with men and women, women in particular, is a general fear of guns. And by fear, I mean this: women, since they're not often as exposed to men in, to the shooting world and being around guns, um, they get cast into a situation where there's a bunch of people shooting guns, and that is a little bit unnerving at at, at the least, and it can be traumatizing. I mean, we've had people in our 22 uh, caliber. Um, gun-oriented first shots class who they fire one shot and they shake their head, they shake their hand, they lay, lay the gun on the bench and they say they can't do this. And it was just a few light bangs and booms because it far exceeded what their expectations were because they had no basis of knowledge. And it's unfortunate. Now, fortunately for us, we know how to handle that situation. And as far as I know, with the exception of maybe one case in 13 years, we've been able to convince those people to stay with it And usually after a half hour, they're like, wow, this isn't so bad after all, because they get acclimated to the range. That becomes the new norm, so to speak. And they realize it's not as bad as TV portrays it or as bad as when they went to the range with their their husband and a bunch of boys who were shooting shotguns and 44 magnums and a bunch of other things. And it was just overwhelming to them.
0: So let's see if we can uh, bring in the rest of the group we have. We have, since we have some guests in studio today, let's let's uh, let's let them talk a little yeah. bit too.
1: Well, uh, in today in the studio today we have uh, two of our members and uh, regular participants in the league. Uh, first, I want to introduce Arabella Kaleo. Arabella is uh, uh, also one of our uh, certified NRA instructors who assists us in a variety of uh, ways at the range in teaching both men and women. And Arabella, I want to first of all welcome you to the show. And I'd like you to start off by just telling our listeners a little bit about how you got involved as a woman with guns.
2: Thanks, Jeff, for having me today. Um, well, for me, um, I've actually had some very limited exposure over the years with firearms, um, but I never really took any um, any formal training up until 2007, really, Um And it kind of started from a self-defense standpoint is how the idea kind of came into my head. Um, Basically, where I lived, which is a suburban part of town, I had heard that there was um, actually a carjacking in the parking lot of the grocery store that I normally shop at. And at the time, I had two very young children My husband was involved in firearms um, and had gotten his concealed carry a couple years prior to that. And it kind of got me thinking that, gosh, if something was to happen like that and I had two young children with me, what was I going to do? So I started talking to him about it and um, I expressed an interest in um, getting my concealed carry. And since I had shot pistols before, I really hadn't thought much about the actual handling and stuff. And I went to sim trainer and got my concealed carry. And um, I don't know, Mark probably doesn't remember this, but he was the main instructor. And I was so nervous in that class. I really had a hard time focusing and um, handling the operations. And I think, you know, as um, instructors for concealed carry, we would all agree that the concealed carry course doesn't really prepare us for the whole responsibility of concealed carry. And at that point, you know, I think it's kind of backwards, but after I got my concealed carry, that was when I made the decision that I had a responsibility to learn more about handling firearms um, so that if I go in public, if there was ever a need to use it, that I would be safe for myself, for my family, and everyone around me.
1: Let me ask a question right there. You mentioned you were very nervous Tell me what you think, looking back on it, were the causes of that anxiety or nervousness.
2: Um, I think for me, um, it part of it was, I was probably the poster child of my husband putting a firearm in my hand. And he said, this, was, this would be a good choice. And ultimately, it would be a good choice. But with the amount of training that I had, um, I wasn't prepared for it. So it was a nine millimeter pistol. Um, I wasn't... Um, comfortable with handling the firearm, and not necessarily the recoil and the noise of it. It was more trying to remember the actual operations. But then having to pull the trigger on top of that was an added stress. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think, you know, part of it is just the being unfamiliar with, with, with handling. And as you said, it, it really comes down to training and practice.
0: One of the things that we've tried to emphasize, and and you made that point, but the concealed carry class is not the place to be learning how to handle your firearm. Right. And it really helps to have done that in advance. We try to encourage people to do that. Sometimes people don't get that message and they come to concealed carry with a gun they've never shot before and maybe have never shot any handgun before. That's not a real recipe for success. Obviously,
1: we are able to get people through that, but that's not the easy way to do it. When you um mentioned uh, again related to the nervousness, was did any of that have to do that you were female in a predominantly male dominated environment? Did that bother you at all?
2: I think part of it is, mm-hmm. um, because I think I was maybe one of maybe at the time, two females in the class. and over the years, um, you know, the with the additional training that I've done, i I typically am one of the few females. Um, I think if you're going to go into a sport like handguns or, or firearms in general, it's, it's admittedly dominated by men. So I think part of it as a woman, you have to get past that and step out of your comfort zone. Yeah.
1: Well, we've taken pride in the fact that we've contributed to a change of that philosophy and you've been directly and indirectly affiliated just with your own family. Um, I'm proud to announce that uh, Arabella has a daughter that's in middle school that uh, is a member of our youth shooting sports team. And both she, both Arabella and her husband, Eric, were very instrumental in encouraging not only their high school age son, but their um, middle aged daughter to get involved. And I have to tell you, after seeing her perform this summer in the competitive events that we were um, at, uh, I am extremely impressed with her ability to pick up, and this is a feature that later we'll talk about as a major, um, I think, benefit to women being women be involved, but her ability to pick up the gun, learn the gun, and have an accelerated rate of training. She went from zero to seven, I'm gonna say, on a scale of 10, relative to how good she could be. She went faster than most of the other students involved or kids involved went and improved their, their, their level of performance. And a lot of it's due to women generally learn better what's your experience dealing let's say with Keenan the, the boy and Barrett the girl
2: um i think a lot of it for actually for our family i think a lot of it is because my husband and i are both involved in firearms so it, it and since i started you know they were very young so it's always been part of our family and part of the reason that i got involved with training and um and with actually instructing, is to educate women and to make them feel more comfortable with firearms because, in my opinion, the, the most unsafe firearm is the one that you don't know how to use. So in my family, we all know the safe handling of firearms. Um, my kids, from a very early age, there was no curiosity, but they know they knew that those were hands-off, um, so when it t- came time for um, for them to be able to to use it, I think they were less nervous than probably somebody that's coming to it at an older age mm-hmm. um, just because it, it's kind of like, you know, It it was just something that we always talked about, and and they had a healthy respect for it. Good.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I want to introduce our second guest here today. We have with us Ellen Fudge. Ellen, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: And why don't you tell us or tell our listeners, Ellen, what uh, brought you to the shooting world?
3: It was about two years ago, and I was starting to get interested in self-defense. Um, mainly because I'd had some experiences that were somewhat negative. I get outside a lot with my job and walk in parking lots, and I'd had a few things happen to me that made me uncomfortable and decided I needed to start looking into some protection to carry with me.
1: Tell us about that process. How did you start you know, looking into it? What did you do? Talk about gun selection, talk about mm-hmm. training. How did you as a woman, kind of behind the power curve, At the time, I imagine you didn't know a whole lot of people that were in the gun world. Is that a correct assumption? None. Okay.
3: And um, like many women that I work with in my financial career, when they find that they want to take responsibility and look into something on their own, they get educated first. And so they start looking into classes. In fact, I urge quite a few of them that I know to come to your place if they're interested in shooting. But... Um, knowing nothing about guns, not working with guns ever, not having been exposed, I started looking at a couple stores of guns and thinking, I don't think I want to touch that until I get an idea what's going on. So we searched around the web. My husband and I was, were both looking. He was interested as well in getting his concealed carry and found your place because of the educational offerings and signed up with your first shots class because it didn't make sense to walk into a concealed carry class Knowing very little, I knew I wasn't going to be ready to shoot going into a concealed carry class. So I started with the first shots. Then we went to the try it before you buy it class, because that at least gives you some idea of what to look for in a
1: firearm. Good. And then you went on to get your concealed carry. And now what are you doing on a pretty regular basis?
3: (laughs) Every day, if I can, um, I love to compete and I'm enjoying a lot of pistol competitions and. If I'm not competing at least once or twice a week, I'm practicing nearly every day.
1: Now, one of the major aspects of this study was that there are different types of guns for different types of purposes. Very true. Did you find that to be the case, and could maybe you share your personal experience relative to that issue?
3: Sure. That's so very true. First of all, you need to find a gun you're comfortable holding for and shooting for self-protection. That was the first priority was self-protection. and I actually started with a bigger gun than, than I found I could carry comfortably on my person. So I went to a smaller gun. But by then I was comfortable in learning how to choose a gun and what would fit my hand. And then secondly, in competition, you need a different type of gun that helps you feel that you have better control because in competition it's all about accuracy and speed and shaving, shaving off fractions of seconds. So that's a different animal. Than a firearm intended for self protection, where you might be shooting at a closer range.
1: So you're telling me that the Glock 34 with a five and a half inch barrel probably isn't the best gun for you to conceal and carry for self defense.
3: Well, I'm a pretty tall person with deep pockets, <laughs> but <laughs> there is—it's not a comfortable gun to carry. It's heavy. <laughs>
1: the other thing I want to share about Ellen is I—it's kind of—I'm very proud, and then I'm—I'm I'm motivated. Um, I'm proud of the fact that at, on at least two or three occasions she has beat me in the league. Um, I just had to reluctantly give her a second place plaque this last league, and I finished fourth or fifth, so she kicked my butt again. I did but yesterday then again, too. That motivates. Uh, <laughs> can, again, that's nothing. But Ellen, you realize that's nothing but a motivation. I think you learned uh, that. That's good. <laughs> I'm very proud that um, Arabella and Ellen can compete at the level that they do. Um, we have about four or five uh, women. We've talked on previous episodes – or uh, yeah previous episodes. Of the show about um, one of our uh, youth shooters who just went off to college. She just, like Ellen, took it up in the last year. And not only does she perform regularly in the top three in the league, but she did remarkably well at the state tournament, at the national tournament this summer with less than a year's experience under Mm -hmm. her belt. Now, one one thing that was really, I think, telling about this study, and we have found it to be the case at SimTrainer, is not only do women come to training relative to guns um, with an eagerness to learn, but they want to do something that I think separates from them from men on a regular basis. They want to learn correctly, and they pay attention to each and every detail. Whereas by nature, us guys are like, yeah, 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 there's the gun, there's the barrel, there's the handle. Okay, the guys are all going on <laughs> boom, boom, let's go out and boom, boom. Let's so make noise. Saying, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. How do you hold that gun by that grip, and what happens when the gun goes off, and how do you reset that trigger and much more attention to fine detail. And quite frankly, across the board, we talked earlier about men typically introduce women to shooting. Women frequently outperform the men who did that. And Arabella, I think that's pretty much the that case. That happens a few times yeah.
2: in my family. Uh,
1: yes, I was just, uh, this summer, I was getting, getting on Eric about maybe he should spend a little bit more time listening to Arabella. I said only, And I clarified that by saying, listen to her relative to her performance with handguns, um, obviously I'm not going to go into other areas <laughs> where I'm going to let you have that kind of authority, but uh, that was an interesting observation. Okay. At this time, I want to talk a little bit about the methodology for the study. And they mentioned early on, this was not a scientific study, but the study's design was mainly to just get some information together to kind of get people thinking about women and guns. And, uh, the lady who initiated the study started out with a plan to do five of her friends. However, because of interest and because she had connections with the NRA headquarters, they decided to expand the study to make it more expansive. And uh, um, she ended up getting 35 uh, participants, 35 women who agreed to come in. And uh, they all took the online blended learning NRA um, knowledge-based course. And then they came for a range session, which I'll describe as kind of a basic handgun familiarization a range session where they got to come to the range, handle guns, shoot a few guns. And uh, although there ultimately were 18 guns in the the study, I think that initial group was only exposed to eight uh, just because that's all she had available to her either immediately or through her ability to get it from other people. But what they wanted to do and what they asked the women to do was to um, make some decisions about the size of the gun, the grip, Uh, the texture, the width of the grip, the texture or the the trigger pull, the length of pull on the trigger, their ability to manipulate the slide or to load and unload the chamber of a revolver, their ability to um, release the slide stop lever and the other controls, such as the, um, the external safety, the magazine release, how easy it was for them to pick up the sights on the gun, and a variety of factors. So they were looking at things that, by and large, will... I think was a good set of factors for people to assess whether or not um, the things were going to work out for them. The individuals were then asked to come back for a more detailed range session where they then all agreed, interestingly enough, and it was totally voluntary, They all all but one of them agreed to shoot um, uh, all 18 of the guns. And then they evaluated the guns based on the criteria I mentioned above. In the survey, they kind of lumped the classification of the survey uh, responses into four categories, and they or three categories. One was placement of the controls, were they easy to reach, things like the trigger, the the cylinder release, the mag release, um, the slide stop lever, the external safety. The second category was ease of use, and that included trigger pull, was it even easy to manipulate the slide, open the cylinder. A lot of this is repetitive, but they kind of had some overlap just out of necessity, Um, the recoil management that was a topic that was not only included in the survey asking them to assess recoil but it's something that many of the participants mentioned on a frequent basis they said that oh it had a lot of recoil or the recoil was substantial or it was more than the others now a couple things I want to mention about recoil and then I'm going to let the ladies address this issue because it's very important after 30 years of being involved in training um, I am of the belief that recoil management is more mental than it is physical, and it is more a product of lack of familiarity and exposure than it is the gun itself. Now, there are exceptions. We've all, or many of us, have been exposed to a 44 Magnum or some very high-power handgun that uh, gives a significant amount of recoil, but when you're talking about the typical competitive gun, the typical self-defense gun, the typical gun that people shoot for recreational purposes, if there is such a Classification Again, I'm basing that on 13 years of being in business and seeing that the majority of people have guns that don't have that substantial um, noticeable recoil. But um, I, I think that some of the issues are more a product of uh, lack of training, lack of exposure. And I want to bring the ladies into this discussion. Arabella, I'll start with you. Relevant to recoil, how have you addressed that issue?
2: Well, I think one of the things that people don't realize, Jeff, is that... that recoil can be managed and there's actually two things when after the gun goes off one is recoil which is that force that pushes you back but there's also muzzle flip and I don't think a lot of people think about the muzzle flip cuz that's going to happen regardless of what you do you just have to manage that the recoil which is the force that kind of pushes you back a lot of that is in in how you hold the gun how you position your body you know the obviously the bigger the gun the more recoil that is but I think if it all comes down to training and practice and really practice is the key, um, you know, because with fundamentals, once you get those down, it's, it's, it's like a golf swing. You do the same thing all the time, but you don't really think about, you know, after a thousand swings, you don't think about each of those.
0: We wouldn't know from golf swings or (laughs) especially not a thousand. Let let me just
1: clarify one point. um, And you, just affirm or deny. This is what you were referring to when you talk about the bigger the gun, the bigger the recoil. I think you mean the bigger the caliber of gun being fired right. versus the yes. size of gun. Yes. Because generally, yes. the bigger True. the gun, the less the felt recoil. The smaller the gun, the more the felt recoil. And right. it's simple physiology. I mark taught me right. this lesson. Mark taught me this lesson a long time ago that it's pretty basic physics. If you've got a big object, it's going to absorb some of the recoil. And if you have a small object, it's going to pass that recoil onto the hand that's holding it. For
0: any of the scientists out there, that's not how I said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: but that's a a relevant issue. Helen, tell me about recoil and how you address the issue.
3: When I'm looking at self-defense pistols, it's nothing I even really gave a thought to, particularly, once I learned how to use the firearm. Um, The muzzle flip, as Arabella said, is really what we're talking about. You teach us the stance and the arm Positions to absorb that energy. So, that's once you have that, that applies to all shooting, whether it's competitive or self protection. But on the competitive side of things, when you're looking to shave off seconds and parts of seconds, muzzle flip is a big issue. And it has to do with really coming to, pardon the pun, grips with your gun. You have to have a very strong grip, and hand placement is everything both hands and you've got to find the best way to keep that gun shooting as flat as possible because it takes time to get the muzzle back down on your target yeah, and, and so that's a bigger deal in competition than it is for self-protection
1: because the key feature there is the ability to get that sight back on target as quick as you can exactly to get successive accurate shots on target and to a certain degree even though there's not as much focus on the sights that's a factor in self-defense shooting also because mm-hmm. the whole goal in self-defense is to shoot until the the threat goes away and to put accurate shots on target in a repetitive fashion as quick as you can. So those are interesting issues. But I want to continue by just mentioning that uh, in addition to placement of controls, ease of use, the other issue was just a general overall impression that they asked the, the participants to comment on. They talked about accuracy. And I tell people accuracy comes natural. Once you learn the fundamentals properly, and once you practice the fundamentals, you will get more accurate, especially if you have somebody or you are of sufficient knowledge to be able to overcome or correct your own problems. You will get accurate pretty pretty quickly once you learn the fundamentals in your practice. They talked about ease of training with the pistol, and both of you mentioned early on in in your individual experiences is that you learned the right way early and then it was a matter of just simply picking the one. So I, I would think mm-hmm. that both of you would agree that training is kind of the key issue here Absolutely. rather than the gun.
2: Absolutely,
0: yes. Yes. Yeah. yes.
1: And I want our listeners to understand that because so often is the case and, and uh, I understand business models of different businesses but a person will go to a gun store look to buy a gun, buy the gun then they come to us to get training for the gun. Now in mm-hmm. some cases we can do that. But in most cases, we find, as I mentioned earlier, they bring the wrong gun that's not right for them and they end up liking something that's better suited for them. And then in a way, they've spent the money and in some cases, that's a wasted purchase unless they're able to take it back and get it exchanged or unless somebody else in their family or close to them would be interested in, in taking that off their hands. But that's an issue that we have constantly uh, reminded our listeners about. So relative to kind of the general issues that I've talked about, Arabelle, I wanna go back to you. What would you say to women out there who are listening to the show, maybe thinking, I'd really like to do that, but I don't know how to get started?
2: Well, I think um, Sim Trainer's first shots class is definitely a great way um, to start. And as I mentioned earlier, I kind of went backwards and um, got my concealed carry first, then did the training. Um, And when I became an NRA instructor, then I found out what all of the classes that were available, and I thought, you know, if I had known this going in, I would have started, I wouldn't have started. In the middle? Yeah, in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ellen. <laughs> yeah. So um, so for, for women that are interested, and and not necessarily, and I would encourage women, even if you're not interested in learning to shoot, I encourage women to learn about firearms in general, because nowadays with with all these things we see in the news and um, the things that kids are watching, the things that kids are playing, we have a responsibility to our kids to, to teach them how to be safe. And not necessarily on the backside of the gun, but if on the front side of the gun as well, as far as, you know, if, if there was an incident in the mall, in the shopping center, where there was a gun, have you really stopped to think about what it is you would do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I encourage women, and that's one of the reasons that I became an instructor is, is, is to share that knowledge. And, you know, my experience, um, I didn't grow up in a military family or in law enforcement. I grew up in Kettering, Ohio, From a family that didn't own firearms, but I've learned a lot and I think, um, you know, it's really helped as far as um, getting my kids prepared for the real world out there. So I think um, as far as women, if you're interested, um, call Sim Trainer up. Um, They'll answer any of your questions. The first shots, if you've never been exposed to firearms or even if you have been exposed to firearms, it's a great place to start. Um, because it's it's not as quote unquote scary as you might think it is, and and you know from a person that went from no firearms to one that's shooting weekly in the competitive league, I've actually learned that it's become fun. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. For that. <laughs> and on. Jeff
3: can be pretty scary too, but I've, I I got around that yes <laughs> in, <How about laughs> in a lovable Ellen, way.
1: question. What would you advise your colleagues, uh, women, female colleagues out there? If they're interested.
3: Well, a lot of women, of course, have children. I don't happen to be one of them. But if you are looking in the self-defense category, you are the last line of defense with your kids. And you need to consider that if you find yourself in a situation where you feel threatened. And we can't live in a bubble. And as Arabella said, I heartily agree that you need to understand what goes on on both sides of the gun and what are your options. And to deal with that, not only maybe even with a firearm, but also hand-to-hand. We need to become aware of our surroundings, and our sense of safety has to be always on alert. So, And there's nothing to be afraid of in learning to shoot. And I was very nervous. i um, Not nervous to shoot a gun, but nervous that it would damage my hands. I'm a pianist. And I found that to be not a problem at all.
0: Well, one of the things I think that that really needs to be addressed is the fact of guns and kids. Because, you know, you mentioned you don't have kids in the house, but a lot of people use the fact that there are kids in the home as an excuse not to have a firearm in the home. And frankly, from my perspective, as a father, that's exactly the opposite of where I wanted to be. I wanted to be able to have a firearm if I needed one, right. prayed I didn't, wanted to be sure I was prepared if I if I did.
3: And you and Arabella are both teaching your children from very
2: young ages how to deal with the idea that firearms are a part of life. Right, Mark, I agree with that because for my kids, we've talked to them not only about firearms in our home, but firearms in other people's homes. Because how many times have we heard in the news
3: right.
2: that there was an accidental shooting because a child went into another home where there's an unsecured firearm? And I don't think that's a conversation a lot of people have. Yep.
0: What you do if you if you run across it. And of course, the, the Eddie Eagle program has right. those four four things that you tell kids, stop, don't touch. Uh, leave the area and tell an adult and those that that's a real simple it's just like the stop drop and roll for fire there's one for firearms too and that's and it's an important lesson unfortunately a lot of kids don't get that in school like they do the fire stuff um
1: one one last thing arabella um and uh, ellen i would like you to comment what are your experience the top three guns for not from the standpoint of ease of manipulation management and overall ease of handling one or two or three. Whatever you think is appropriate.
2: Top three guns. Make and model. Make and model. Hmm.
1: Maybe that you like the best, uh, that you found to be the easiest to manipulate, the easiest to shoot, work best for you.
2: Um, I have found my favorite gun personally is a full-size 9mm M&P. Um, I like that one for training, um, for competition, um, because of its ease of use, but then I guess it also depends on what my purpose is for the gun, because on a daily carry basis, I carry an M&P shield, which is much, much smaller and more concealable. Um, but I like those two guns um, because they have similar operating purs- operations and they've also got similar triggers. Um, now, admittedly, I will say Glocks are okay because that's what my husband yeah. shoots. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Yeah. A couple of Glock people in the yeah, room. That's right. <laughs> Ellen, same question
1: to you.
3: I haven't shot a lot of different kinds of guns, but I did find like Arabella did. Um, and I mentioned earlier, my first choice was a full size Glock 17. I liked the feel of the gun when I shot it, but it was impractical to carry. So I'm at a Glock 43, still a nine millimeter. I like the the ammunition, but it is, it fits in my pocket better. Um, I remember trying the Smith and Wesson MMP and I like that very much.
1: Okay. We only have a few more minutes left, but I wanted to just conclude.
3: So trying to be consistent from one to the next, and how they work and take apart, and I fix my own guns. So Glocks are my choice.
1: that were used in the study, and then have some follow-up relative to guns, women and guns, or just guns in general. Um, In the particular study, they used the Bursa, Bursa Thunder 9 Pro XT a Glock 43, an HK VP9, a Kimber Micro 9, a SIG 320 Compact, a Smith & Wesson M&P 9, a Smith & Wesson M&P 9 Shield, a uh, a Springfield EMP4, an STI 5.0 Marauder, a Walther CCP, and a Wilson Combat 92 Brigadier. Those were all the the major caliber um, semi-autos, and they had some 380s. They used the Brining 1911, the Remington RM 380, and the SIG Sauer P238. And then in the revolver line, they uh, use the Ruger LCR, the LCRX, the Smith & Wesson 442, and the Smith & Wesson 67.5, or 67-5. I want to first of all mention that in the study, the results uh, from the surveys, the revolvers were overwhelmingly the least uh, preferred firearms of choice. Across That's the interesting, board. because that almost
3: was... every man I've talked with pushed me
1: toward a revolver. Exactly, and that was ex- one of the premises of the article was that in the old days, the, when they're referring to the 70s and 80s and early 90s when it became kind of the thing to do, that was kind of the school of thought. Push a woman because she doesn't know any better to a revolver that's easy. Now, the the baseline thinking seems to have some applicability, but the limitations overcome the simplicity aren't of the in shots. many cases. Well, it's training is
0: a much bigger deal than the functional operation of the gun. So once yeah. you've learned how to operate it, right. it really isn't that difficult. Certainly not as complicated as operating a motor vehicle. And for the most part, that's not really well, that big of a deal. And
1: Diane sent me some comments this morning because she couldn't make it because she had a prior uh, engagement. But uh, she mentioned that was one of the, the key issues um, in her her selection. She said, look, you got to try them first. And, um, you know, it it doesn't matter whether it's revolver or semi-automatic, it comes down to which right for you. And that's uh, so critical. And just like Diane and and, uh, Arabella and, and Ellen mentioned here, the training is critical so that you learn how to do it so that you have a chance to learn the right way. And then you can make an informed decision. Um, now, at Sim Trainer, we have a variety of other guns. Now, I wanted to mention in this category, it was uh, interesting to see that they had some what we call safe action semi autos. They had some 1911 cocked and locked type guns, and they also had some what we call complicated guns that had decock levers and safeties. Now, it is our strong recommendation that people coming into the, the shooting community. For the first time, they shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to worry about any of those things like putting a safety on, taking the safety off, decocking the hammer in between because they got enough to worry about the fundamentals of grip, sight alignment, and trigger control. And by complicating the process, by making them think about those, I think, based on, again, 30 years of experience, detracts from the learning.
3: That makes sense. Yeah. And Glocks are like that. Glocks have the safeties built in, so there's less to worry about. Absolutely. Um, But... Eventually, anybody can learn those types of guns.
0: And again,
1: these guns that they had were guns that were available, and in some cases they mentioned guns that were recommended by the internet community. Now, that's different than guns recommended by competent, qualified firearms right. instructors. Everybody has an opinion, as we found out, and a lot of the opinions are good. A lot of the opinions aren't so good, but the bottom line is, there are a lot of guns out there, but the bottom line uh, relative to the guns is you got to have the training first.
0: Well, the key is, are they fact-based opinions or are they just because <laughs> I true. feels like it? Yeah. yeah.
1: Or it's all I have. So that's it. I have been subjected to that. I can remember when we transitioned from, uh, um, uh, revolvers to semi-autos in the mid to late 1980s, there were a lot of people who, whether they were a Glock or a Sig person, those were the two primary dominant guns in, in the areas that I worked that's what they recommended. Everybody shoot. If they if they carried Glock, they recommend everybody have a Glock. If they carried right. Sig, everybody carries Sig. It's absolutely the best. It's absolutely the best. Well, it's threat. like it software choices. choices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever Some you extent. know,
3: you yeah. like the best, and it is the best. Well, Ellen, I'd right. like
1: you just to kind of um, any last minute comments, La- kind of wrapping up your thoughts relative to this whole idea of women and guns.
3: I. I find it to be sad that so many women are fearful of guns and flying and other things that have typically been of interest to men because there's nothing that we can't do. And it's I think in some cases women see that as perhaps a safety concern when there are children in their lives, especially younger children, and that can be a drawback, but I think it can also be addressed. Unfortunately, I don't see that supported by organizations that – involve women and kids like the scouting organizations as much as I'd like to see them address. These These can be sports. They can be legitimate sports and handled safely, and they are now handled very safely from what I've seen. But we all watch too much TV, and we're very influenced by movies and TV, and even what we consider to be news programs are constantly fear-mongering. I think that is something that many people are susceptible to, and not just women. It's just a sad situation right now. But in my experience now in the last two years, it's been nothing but positives, and I haven't seen anybody get shot unintentionally, and nobody's volunteered to be shot intentionally. So it's all been very safe experience in competitions. I don't see as many women in competitions as I do studying the self-defense side of it. So that's what's attracting women first. I'm generally a very small minority in the competitions until you get to a higher level. But um, nevertheless, I've had nothing but good experiences with the men that I have shot with. They have all been very welcoming, very friendly, willing to teach me and take time from their focus and concentration in a competition to help me. And I've appreciated that. It's made a big difference.
0: I think a lot of times there's a thought that, well, they're going to be condescending. And that's it happens occasionally, but that's really
1: it's very rare. rare.
3: I really haven't run into that. If anything, they're very happy to see women interested and wish their own wives would take part.
1: You know, moving forward, just as kind of a wrap-up, I think some issues that we need to be cognizant of are as follows: Women are the largest new demographic group coming to shooting, the shooting sports, and we need to pay attention to them. Women want to learn, and they want to learn the right way, and that's a right. key point. And I think not only does that benefit them, but I think men can learn a lesson from that overall uh, philosophy, particularly relevant to training in firearms. Training should absolutely come before gun selection. It absolutely, makes no sense to buy the gun before, and then recognize that once you take the training, buy the gun, it's going to take periodic practice to retain the skill. It is perishable. The skill. That's right. Yes. Gun selection should be based on four criteria, primarily. What your intention is. rec shooting, competitive shooting, home defense, concealed carry. Now, there are some cases where there can serve, a gun can be multiple function. There's some we overlap have, in there. Yeah, we have people who come to concealed carry, or to the... Mm-hmm. Uh, Competitive shooting league, who their purpose is to practice getting ready for the ultimate experience they may have to indulge in. Mark's one of them, and he uses right. his concealed carry gun. Where there's other people like you and I, me on occasion, you more often, you have a competition gun that's different than your carry gun because you're out there to really have fun and have the experience of the competition and to do well and to beat me. always that's that's a huge advantage now i'm 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 gonna blame it um your barrel's longer than mine so i think that's why you beat Uh, you're gonna talk about barrel length that's all i'm giving you (laughs) some other comments i want to mention is that although the internet community is a potential source of information relative to the topic of guns and women in guns i think the opinions of experienced competent instructors and the data from the firearms industry retailers on guns and training and the data that's out there should be given a higher priority than just the the blogs uh, that are out on the internet. Oh because yes, it's more based on actual experience. I think issues like recoil management, length of pull, uh, trigger pull resistance, and those sorts of things um, can be mitigated against by choosing a gun through training. That is the one that you you should should have. I also believe that 1911 style guns or other complicated guns that are carried cocked and locked or require um, uh, Uh, a a, a decocker to get the gun back into condition should not be included in initial training because it adds a complicating factor uh, to the the mix that detracts from their ability to acquire and master the fundamentals. And finally, um, in this particular study, there wasn't any specific mention about the ability to handle malfunctions. I think that is critical because semi-automatic pistols, if they have one major fault is that they are way more likely to malfunction than a revolver just by design and operation. And I think that that has to, moving forward, be a topic that's addressed that if you have a malfunction, whether it's shooter addressed or a gun and or ammo addressed, the individual needs to know how to clear the malfunction and get back in the game.
3: Well, that's why we're here. We want to
1: be able to shoot the pistol. That's exactly right. For you ladies out there that might be interested, I will be conducting a seminar at the Field and Stream at Austin Landing in Springboro on Wednesday, September 20th from 6 to 8 p.m. It'll be an overview of gun selection, training, and related issues. So, again, that's at the Field and Stream at Austin Landing in Springboro from 6 to 8. That's all we have for today, and I'll see you next week. Thinking about learning to shoot? Considering buying a gun? Want to enjoy the sport of shooting with a friend or family member? How about getting
0: involved in competitive shooting? Sim Trainer offers all these opportunities and more. Visit, call, or stop by. Visit us at sim-trainer.com. Call the range at 293-3914 or stop by the range at 2031 Dryden Road. Then listen to the podcast by clicking the radio link at sim-trainer.com.